This is the Survival A to Z podcast, strategies to thrive from business for life. My guest is Lisa Strutt. She's a businesswoman and she joined me from her home in Belfast during lockdown. I gave her a list of words to think about and from them she chose to explore bravery and support. Lisa's had to become an expert on bravery, although at first she was reluctant to accept the gravity of things. It kind of just felt like an inconvenience, something that just had to be managed and um, overcome. Relentlessly positive, Lisa remained naturally optimistic. We did not expect it to be anything other than good news. But things had changed, and with it the type of bravery she would have to pull from the very depth of herself. Taking on board that information on that day, the 29th of April 2019, was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do. She had to think not just about herself, but the rest of her family. How are we going to tell our three teenage children who were in the middle of exam season? And how are we going to live well in spite of this information that we've just been given? And Lisa learned something about surviving the truly difficult times. It's about bravery every single day when you get up. And she learned some things about herself as well. I would say the Lisa of 20 years ago was maybe even a workaholic. I've learned to be kinder to myself. If I don't take care of myself, then we're not cared for. And she also had to learn something that did not come naturally to her at all. Allow yourself to feel every feeling and emotion that you have. Find someone who can just listen to you and be with you, be alongside you in your pain. I met Lisa at a conference recently and thought she was full of energy, really positive, quite bossy, if I'm to be honest, certainly assertive, entertaining, clear on her goals, really impressive. But I had no idea of what Lisa was going through back there in real life land. And when I found out, I was speechless because immediately I knew that the woman I had met in the conference had to be only one half at most of the full person. Lisa chose to explore bravery and support. Lisa, welcome. Thank you very much for having me, Alison. It's lovely to be with you today. Lisa, before we get started on your concepts, first of all, tell me what it is you do in your everyday work life, which was how I met you. Well, there's two things that I do, Alison. The first thing, uh, which is my bread and butter, is as a leadership coach. I'm a freelancer and I coach entrepreneurs and senior leaders in government or in the private sector and help them to figure out how they can achieve more in life without sacrificing the things that truly matter to them. So that's my day-to-day work. And then last year, I joined forces with a good friend um, and connection of mine, Sinead Sharkey-Steenson, and we co-founded an organization called Career Reboot, which is all about helping people who have had a career break get back into the workplace at a level they deserve and helping employers to think differently about returner or transitioner talent. Okay, so... 
Lizzie, you're used to supporting Ben, obviously. Um, but first of all, let's look at Bravery, which was your first choice. And I asked you to rate them by preference and most important, and you started with Bravery. So Bravery means to meet boldly, to defy, to face down. It means to have courage, and that is the quality that enables people to meet danger without giving way to fear. So, Lisa, can you tell me what you're going through right now that requires you to be brave? About two and a half years ago, November 2017, I was um, due to speak at the US consulate. I was speaking about leadership um, for women. And um, when I came out of the US consulate, I had 16 missed calls on my phone. And that's quite unusual because people don't tend to leave you voicemail messages. And I, I picked up the phone and, and looked at it and it was from my husband. And he had gone to the doctor that morning and um, the doctor had sent him immediately up to the hospital for tests. And it turned out that um, he had been suffering um, from what we thought was a blocked bile duct. But 10 days later, it became clear that um, there was something more sinister at work in his body. And he was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. At that time, the prognosis was, was very positive. It was, we can do surgery. Um, you will have a, a good um, chance of, a, of a living a full life after that. He was young. He was only 44 at the time. He had just finished a 26-year career in the military and had transitioned to the private sector. He was doing very well as a cybersecurity analyst. And, and so it kind of just felt like a, an inconvenience, something we had to deal with, something that just had to be managed and um, overcome. And so he went in and had an operation called the Whipple's Procedure, which removed half his pancreas, his half his stomach, um, various other bits and pieces, replumbed his system. And then he had eight months of um, chemotherapy. And at the end of that time, um, it was a bit like the textbook. He was told, yeah, um, things are looking good. You've, you've got a good chance of a full recovery. Go and live your life. And that was, that was in November 2018, so a full year later. Six months after that, in April last year, in fact, this time last year, we went for a routine checkup, Alison, and we did not expect it to be anything other than good news. Um, we went along, we had the conversation with John's oncologist, and 10 minutes into the conversation, completely out of the blue, having talked about lots of, you know, just normal things. The oncologist said that he had some bad news following John's latest CT scan. And that was that his cancer was back. It was in his lymph nodes and that it was incurable. So taking on board that information on that day, the 29th of April, 2019 was probably one of the most difficult things I've ever had to do 
processing that information and thinking, how are we going to tell our three teenage children who were in the middle of exam season? How are we going to manage this news? And how are we going to live well in spite of this information that we've just been given? So for the last year, that's what we've been dealing with. We've been dealing with an incurable cancer diagnosis and everything that comes with that from very strong, brutal chemotherapy to being told there's no more interventions available. So that's a brief synopsis of the last two and a half years, Alison, of, of dealing with cancer. You must be a huge optimist to think like this, but at the beginning, rather than letting the early diagnosis crash you through the floor, as you said, it was, you know, we saw it as an inconvenience, something to be overcome. Then a year later, it was a completely different conversation. And now you were staring in the face of finality that you hadn't previously actually allowed yourself to entertain. Going into the concept of bravery, it occurs to me that that you must be incredibly brave in a very holistic way because there's two kinds of bravery going on there. The first one is, is the bravery of stiff upper lip, you know, pull your socks up, get on with it, don't let this put us down, we will, you know, we will win. And the second is the bravery of determined defeat, where you know that the outcome, the ultimate outcome, has a finality about it that is devastating. When you look at those two different kinds of bravery that you're having to live through, tell me the actual emotional difference between what, between the bravery that you had to draw on in the first conversation and the bravery you had to draw on a year later. Oh, that's a good question, Alison. Um, I think I think being a military spouse, so I was, you know, a military spouse for, you know, over two decades. And I think one of the things you learn is it's a it's a saying I always had in my head, you know, there's no knight in shining armor coming to save you. You you're maybe um, posted abroad and you've no sooner got there and got the kids settled in the new environment and your husband goes off to, you know, some deployment on a ship or to some war-torn place and you're left on your own to get on with it from changing light bulbs and plugs to sorting out the children's education and healthcare. So I would say there's a certain amount of resilience that I have built up over the years that enables me just to get on with things. And I would say that's probably the case in the first scenario. It was, this is a huge shock, but the outlook is good. So you just have to crack on with it and, and keep going and, and um, 
get to the next milestone, to the next chemo, to the next appointment. And then that's done and dusted. I'm not saying it wasn't difficult. It was difficult and there were many emotions to navigate, not just my own, but the children's and other people's responses and the challenge of managing my career aspirations alongside uh, being a caregiver and being there for John. I think the second time around was a lot more challenging because of the level of uncertainty. So it's, it's about bravery every single day when you get up. And I probably would resist being called brave, at least maybe if you'd asked me this a year ago, I, I maybe wouldn't have chosen that word. But I, I like the idea of people who do the right thing at the, at the right time, in the right place, that type of bravery and courage. And I think that's what this is. It's, it's every day resetting uh, recalibrating where you're at and thinking about how can I live life well today? I'm in this day. And I know there's a lot of talk about mindfulness and living in the moment and it can feel a bit throwaway and a bit twee if you're in a privileged position and life is good. Yeah, why not live in the moment? But what we're going through, what, what I'm going through as, as John's wife, as the mother of our three children, um, as someone who's trying to figure this out on a daily basis, for me, it's about acknowledging my emotions. Some days I feel sad. Some, some days I project into the future and think, what's it going to be like to be alone? My kids will be leaving home soon, going to university and, and that sort of thing. And, and what does life hold for me? And that does occasionally overwhelm at times. But then when I pull myself back and think about, okay, what have I got today? Um, what have I got to be grateful for? What have I got to be joyful about? And really to, to seek to live well in that day. That's, that's really what I try to do every day. That's actually humbling, Lisa. You know, because in the face of, of the future, that is maybe the day and time is not there, but the future is fairly certain. That's must at times be incredibly hard to do do you ever do you ever wake up in the middle of the night and think you know what I'm not I'm not fucking brave I'm not brave I don't want to be brave anymore I think being brave can only come if you're afraid I think there are times when when it would be preferable to just say, I'm kind of done with this. I just want to know what's going to happen. I'm a planner and an organizer. I'm an achiever. Um, so 
having accomplishments and, and thinking that, well, if you plan it and you organize it, then, then it'll be sorted. And you can't do that with cancer because you're not in control. I do not know how long John has. And I know that the response to that is, well, none of us do. And in the current climate with COVID-19, obviously that's become more real for a lot of people. But there are times, I think, when, when the not knowing and the not being able to plan does create attention. Like, should I throw myself into my work? What am I thinking of starting a new business in the middle of cancer? What's, you know, what's that about? Lisa, just crack on with, with being at home. Um, so uh, there is attention. There is um, a fear of doing the right thing at times. But to me, that is a big part of bravery, Alison. It's, it's doing the right thing, making that decision and saying, well, this is right for now. Do you think that part of bravery, just as you said about like, what's that about starting a new business in the middle of cancer? But do you think that perhaps part of what bravery is, is a determination to see into the future, like to see a future and to work towards a future at all costs? Because I guess knights who go onto the battlefield don't go onto the battlefield assuming that they're going to get chopped down. They go onto the battlefield with a future in mind. And that's what makes them fight so hard until they can't fight anymore. So do you think perhaps there's just that's a hardwired thing for brave people, which is the difference between people who don't see the moment or into the future and people who do? I think that's a great analogy, Alison. I think having a clear sense of purpose, you know, that's something that resonates with me. I mean, people who go into battle, the, the, the mission is clear. The plan may change. Curveballs may come their way. And I think for me, I've always been the sort of person who has set myself goals and has has gone for them. Um, I think I also, I, as a coach... I'm constantly working with other people to help them achieve their goals or their dreams or their aspirations. So the use of that word that you said, hardwired, that's probably true for me. I, I couldn't imagine not having things to aim for or a, a greater sense of, of meaning. And for me, that comes from making sure that I've, left my little corner of the world a bit better by being in it than, than not. And so that does drive me and that does challenge me each day. And also John is a huge support to me in that way. He says, Lisa, you have to think about what you're going to do after I'm gone. And now is not the time to pull back on everything. And so I think that... Um, that's an encouragement to me as well to continue to, to live into that purpose and to make a difference with my life. And I think because John and I met when we were 13, Alison, you might be surprised to know, um, we were the dying breed, I think, of 
childhood sweethearts, although I always resisted that term. And, and so we really have been friends our whole lives. And he's always supported me and encouraged me to, to go for my dreams and to um, achieve whatever um, I want to in life. And I think it's testament to the sort of man he is that he continues to encourage me to do that in spite of everything that's going on and maybe even more so because of it. Tell me about John's bravery. Do you think John's bravery is of the same nature? You've been together since you were 13. I mean, my goodness, you were babies. So all your lives. So do you think John's bravery, when you look at it, is of a different nature to yours or does it come from the same place have you been together forever because you are so alike or because you are different oh we're completely different Alison we're we're polar opposites John is an introvert I'm definitely although I would say I'm an ambivert um, I'm definitely more on the extroverted end of the continuum compared to him John's I guess bravery is hardwired in a different way. Partly, I think, due to his upbringing in North Belfast and partly, partly due to his military training. I, I think you can't be in the military for 20 plus years and not have a certain amount of uh, courage that's been tested so John's very quiet in his in his approach to life and I think that he has such um, strength of character that maybe other people certainly maybe even his wider family wouldn't really know or appreciate just some of the things that he's had to do in his career I think his what he gained through the military has enabled him to approach cancer like a military operation. And that's very much his outlook on it. So it's it's get to the next milestone. It's, it's evaluate where we're at right now, come up with a new plan. Um, that's, that's his approach. And sometimes it's incredibly frustrating, but, and we would clash um, just in terms of our um, approach, like I ask too many questions. It's the coach in me, Alison. It never, it never stops. Um, whereas he's very much just get on with it. Um, it's so interesting that you say that he's been through so much that he has learned. You know, his courage has developed, his bravery has developed over time um, because of his uh, career. Um, Maya Angelou said that one isn't necessarily born with courage, but one's born with potential. And without courage, we cannot practice any other virtue or consistency. We can't be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest. So that all of those things take courage because if you're going to be kind, true, merciful, generous, or honest, the courage I suppose that you have to have most of is trust. What have you learned, do you think, about yourself and your relationships, especially, of course, with John and the children going through this last couple of years? Oh, good question, Alison. What have I learned? 
Well, I've learned even more. I guess it's been reinforced that I love to learn. So because I love to learn, it enables me to reflect. I've learned to reflect on how I'm feeling. I've learned to take better care of myself. I would say the Lisa of 20 years ago was driven, determined, maybe even a workaholic. And I would say that what I've learned through the cancer experience and going through this together with, with John and with, with the children is that if I don't take care of myself, then we're not cared for. And, and that's been a big shift for me. So taking time to read a book, to put the headphones on and go for a walk and blast my music really loud, to do things just for me. I probably um, in the past would have been too much of a giver and not taking good care of myself. You can't do that in the cancer journey because I'm needed. And if I don't have my strength and I don't have, um, if I don't have um, that ability to um, keep going and support others, then I can't, I can't do it. So I, I've, I've learned, I've learned to be kinder to myself. And that's another reason why I wanted to pick the word brave. As I mentioned, it's probably a word I would have shunned before. But having shared my story now several times and talked to people about it, the sorts of things that people say back to me is, you're so brave, you're inspiring. And I would have maybe pushed that away. So that's another thing I've learned to do, to accept a compliment, accept um, that the gift that I can give is just being an ordinary person who's encountering lots of challenges and still living my best life as much as I can every day. And I guess that is inspiring the people and encourages them that maybe they could do it. So I've, I've learned to lean into that, if you like, and um, I've learned to acknowledge the need to receive offers of help, for example. I would have been, again, a, as a military spouse, there's, there's no one coming to do your jobs for you. You've just got to crack on and do them. And so in this scenario, I can't do everything myself, work and manage the kids and run up and down to the hospital and do everything that needs to be done. So I've had to accept offers of help and I've learned to ask as well, which doesn't come easily. I'll bet. I've learned to do it. <laughs> I'll bet it doesn't, Lisa. <laughs> what little I know of you, I'm sure that is probably one of the most difficult things that you can do. Um, Aristotle said you'll never do anything in this world without courage. It is the greatest quality of the mind next to honour. So with that in mind, what are the most difficult specific things you've had to be brave about? Is it the visit to the hospital? Is it telling the children? 
Is it moving out of the apartment away from the kids during COVID? Is it staring into the future? What's the, you know, what's the thing that is most difficult to be brave over? What challenges you most? What makes you want to run away? But still you have to face it. Firstly, I think it's seeing the children with their father. So knowing every time we reach a milestone, like a birthday or Christmas or something that is important to the children, a show, a ballet show or something like that, knowing that that could be the last time that they get to experience that with their dad. And looking over at John and seeing the pain in his eyes and knowing that I'm going to be the one who's going to have to be there after he passes and being that one true constant for the children, that is one of the toughest thought processes and emotional responses you can have because I can see the pain on his face. I know the children don't always pick up on it, but I certainly do. And on the occasions where they do articulate it, for example, we were at a family wedding um, just before Christmas. And unfortunately, John was very ill that day with his chemotherapy and he couldn't come. And it was during the speeches and um, our son James just whispered in my ear, well, I suppose dad will never be able to give a speech at my wedding, mom. And that was, that was really tough, really tough. Because I couldn't argue back. I couldn't say, well, let's look at this. Let's look on the bright side. That was very hard to to reframe in any way. And in that scenario, I just had to listen and, and accept it and give him a big hug and, and say, well, I'll be here for you, son. So those, those types of intimate emotional interactions are, are very tough. Thinking about what life is going to be like for me, after John passes is something that I allow my mind to go to really so that it becomes familiar. I think the I think it's John O'Donoghue that says the veil between life and death is thin, thinner than we think. And so I allow myself to go there and experience that and then pull myself back into the present and, and remind myself, well, he's here now. So enjoy the time I have with him. They're probably the two most, most difficult things. What um, advice, Lisa, would you give to anyone who could be listening to this who has just had that kind of diagnosis, who is staring into the abyss and at this moment in time is just strip bare, doesn't, you know, has almost 
no response because any response is going to be so huge that sometimes the only thing you can do is to try to just bury every feeling. I think it's it's hard to give other people advice and I would even maybe go so far as to, to shun advice giving. I think the most important thing to do is to listen. One of the things that annoyed me at the start was when people would say, oh, well, I know so-and-so and they had a such and such a cancer diagnosis and this happened to them or they survived five years or they survived 10 years or they got a new heart or whatever it is because that doesn't really help you in your unique situation. So the first thing I would I would say to them is find someone who can just listen to you and be with you, be alongside you in your pain. Having those few people that you can really share how you feel with um, in a non-judgmental way, I think is really, really important. Uh, there's some people that say unhelpful things. They don't know they're being unhelpful. It's maybe, it seems like they're doing something, but actually it's not what you need to hear at that time. And And I think you have to have a really good few friends or few people that you can say, listen, I just need the vent or I don't need you to fix it for me. I just need you to listen to me. I think that's really important. And I'm very fortunate to have uh, a few friends who who I can call on at, at any time. Should I just want to vent or offload or just say, please talk to me about about what's happening in your work, because I'm sick of talking about cancer. The second thing I would say is to allow yourself to feel every feeling and emotion that you have. And it might be that you journal, it might be that you simply go on a walk. I would have gone on many walks by the sea it's it's something that I find very calming. I find I'm at peace there. I, I would encourage people to find a something, a place where they can go to um, to let go. Maybe they need to cry their eyes out. Maybe they need to be angry and shout and say it's not fair. I think being outdoors and being somewhere where you can see that life does go on, the seasons do continue, the waves do come up on the beach and go back again and the tide returns later that day, I think that can help you feel part of something bigger. I have nothing to add to Lisa's incredibly eloquent description of bravery. Her situation is devastating and decided. I suspect that I would struggle to be one-tenth as strong in similar circumstance. In the sister podcast to this one, Lisa and I go on to discuss support and being supportable, something, as you heard, that Lisa has struggled with and had to navigate as part of this terrible journey. You've been listening to Survival A to Z podcast, Strategies to Thrive, 
from business for life, and in this case, from life for business. My guest was Lisa Strutt. I'm Alison Hogg, and until next time, I wish you the strength to be brave whenever, wherever, and however the situation demands it of you. Thank you.